Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe, Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. La Trobe, Asia has recently released a new issue of the La Trobe, Asia Brief, looking at the relationship between Australia and China and the challenges it presents. With me today is one of the contributing authors, Rowan Kallick. Rowan is a veteran journalist who worked as a China correspondent for both the Australian Financial Review and The Australian. He's the author of Party Time, Who Runs China and How, and is an advisory board member for La Trobe Asia. Welcome back to the podcast, Rowan. Thanks, Matt. So I'd like to get a sense of what Australia and China mean to each other. You spent many years writing from China for an Australian audience. How well does Australia know China? How well does China know Australia? Is there an imbalance from your perspective? Australia is not the top of the list of places that Chinese people think about. Mm. United States is quite clearly number one centre. But Australia is well known. Growing number of people come here as tourists. People come here to study. A large number have migrated here. Many of them, they like to know Australia better. In the broader community, the sense of Australia comes through, I have to say, the fauna. Mm. If you ask a taxi driver, they'll say, we know, we know kangaroos kangaroo. and so on. We Fair know koala enough. if you're lucky. Yeah. The general public impression is quite a positive one of a green country, a wide open land. Mm. Is it a reciprocal thing, though? Is there knowledge and awareness? The impression that I get from what you say there is that there's a bit of an affectionate view of a safe Western country, a friendly Western country, yes. if I can call Australia that for China. What's the Australian view of China then? I think you're right. And the Australian view of China is an emerging one. Obviously, at Federation, we had this founding fear of China, mm. as other countries did. It was starting to fragment. The dynastic rule was disintegrating then that we would be in the wash of this and racism clearly played its role. That thinking has, in my view, pretty well leached out over the years. Some people think differently. Some people think it's a kind of besetting sin of Australia. As a migrant to Australia myself, I haven't quite seen that. Mm. My own concern, though, is that uh, Australians think they know China, but don't. Many people have been to China on holiday. It's a beautiful country, terrific people. But what they see is, to say the least, not everything. They see the, Beijing, Shanghai, and yes, very well Xi'an, straying out and of there. Yeah. People in our business world who play a particularly important role in framing views of China also often don't see the full picture, mm. partly because we still are essentially putting stuff on ships and sending it there. The biggest amount remains uh, commodities trade, absolutely massive, huge appetite, a continuing appetite in China for uh, iron ore, for our um, thermal metallurgical coal and so on, so on, so on, and for agricultural products. And now that's been joined by vitamins and other 
value-added products. Some kind of virtue is ascribed to selling things through the e-commerce channel, but really that's just the same as those putting the R&R on the ship mm. because people are putting boxes on boats or on planes and sending them. We invest very little in China. With investment often comes a more sophisticated understanding. Germany, Japan, United States invest a lot in China. That kind of understanding leaches back in. In my view, we don't have that. So we, we know from visits, we know from Chinese people in our community here, but few people study China. In fact, the amount of academic work looking at contemporary China has been in decline. Mm. So I feel that people think they know China, but really they don't. A lot more work has to be put in. People have to become more friendly with Chinese people, get to know them, get to spend more time. We have to appoint more people to leading positions who've not only looked at China, but worked and lived there and in Asia more broadly. A lack of real Asian lived-in experience. Mm. And uh, if we want to really connect with our region in which we're based, we need to do that. Can we discuss the upper levels now, specifically the government? Does this lack of knowledge or a knowledge gap extend to the government as well? We famously had a few years ago Prime Minister Kevin Rudd who could speak Mandarin. And Xi Jinping's visit in 2014, I believe he visited every state, which is a lot more than our leaders can be said to have achieved. I don't believe Scott Morrison's ever been to China. So can you, you talk about what's the the knowledge gap like at the government level? Yes, that's right. On his last visit here, Xi Jinping noted that through visiting Tasmania, he'd be able to boast he'd been to every state, enabling him to, what he said was, gain a full understanding of the country. And then he added in a rare joke, I don't know whether I can get a certificate for that. Not he, bad. He probably should. Yeah, I think he should. Yeah, he should. Many he, Australians haven't done that, of course. He should have at least got one for holding a wombat, another yeah. koala. I thought that was impressive. <laughs> Highly creditworthy. So China's leaders feel they've got a pretty full measure of Australia, and the reverse, as you suggest, isn't really true. It does worry me. I think that uh, Australia's an open trading nation. We really need to have a pretty full grasp of the places that we work with, we live with, we do business with. It's a pity that our political leaders largely drawn from, these days, a political class of people who've never lived outside Australia. Yeah, but even if they've never lived outside Australia, there seems to be a familiarity with Western countries, with, say, Europe, with America. But China is such a significant country to Australia, especially to its economy, that you would think that that should be a special case. Yes, I think that's true. There are ways you can catch up. Mm. It needs work. It almost starts by being able to make a good fist of pronouncing Chinese names. That's, mm. that's uh, somewhat of a giveaway when people call him Xi or some other name, Xi Jinping. They mispronounce uh, Beijing as Beijing or something. My heart sinks when I hear this mm. and I feel people haven't been paying attention. That's not hard. That's kind of step one. 
But step two is reading, understanding. And in China's case, history is particularly important. The uh, Communist Party, which has ruled China for 70 years come October the 1st, pays huge attention to history. Mm. It seeks to control its own history. We have to get a, our own understanding of how China has come to be where it is, the choices it's made, what this means for its own population, how is China governed, what do phrases mean like Xi Jinping's thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era, a phrase which has gone into the state and party constitutions, a new era. What's new about this era? Mm. It is, of course, not that old Deng Xiaoping era when he advised China to hide and bide, to hide its real strength and to bide its time. Xi Jinping feels China's time is now. So very important for us to look at that. What does this mean to unpack it in a way that we can understand? Because a lot of it's out there. Xi Jinping spoke for three and a half hours to the uh, National Party Congress at the end of 2017, five-yearly event. That speech gives us the menu for our present times in terms of how China's leadership views its path in the world and how it intends to change China itself. Mm. I'm not sure that many of our politicians have read that document. Very important to look at that for everyone. Business leaders also need to take a look because it's there. So if you had to plot the relationship between Australia and China on a graph, actually try and apply some numbers to this, but I'm just wondering about the gradient that you think you would see. Has our relationship been improving over time or has it been faltering? Is there a peak? Is there a trough? What does the graph look like to you? Okay. So we have to think of what China we mean. The party state wants us to look entirely at its China. In that relationship, it provides tests. What's changed in this relationship is that she moved into the global space. His predecessors were focused more on economic growth and improving prosperity at home. She is no less concerned about that, but he's adding ambitions for China's global prestige. Mm. He's seeking to weaponize, if you like, China's economy and the interdependence of so many other countries with China economically. In those terms, China seeks to promote a series of tests with the countries with which it relates. Australia has been given poor marks by some in China. John Howard was given good marks when he acknowledged, or some people say he fibbed, that China was truly a market economy, which was the barrier set for starting negotiations towards the free trade agreement. We completed those negotiations. We have a terrific comprehensive free trade agreement with China. Mm. Test pass. Then another test, let's say, does Australia have an extradition treaty with China? No, we haven't. No, we don't. So failure in one test. Another test in the rhetoric 
do Australian politicians unfailingly speak in a positive and desired way about China? Mostly, but not always. So one or two failings there, particularly in recent times, Malcolm Turnbull's speech in which he said, our daliaro min jang chilaila. So the Australian people have stood up, which is a kind of flip reference to a similar remark made by, kind of made, it's complicated, the history <laughs> of this phrase, uh, by Mao Zedong on October the 1st, 1949, declaring the People's Republic when he said the Chinese people have stood up. Kind of, as I say, flip phrase was taken very badly and is constantly referred to. Mm. A few other remarks regarded as mistakes or missteps by Australian leaders are highlighted. So we have a sort of regular desire by those who are marking Australia to revert to the odd speech which is perceived as being inadequate or even insulting if those leaders, if Australia hasn't apologised, hasn't eaten those words. This adds to this kind of sense of grievance. Mm. Australian visitors to China, be they academic, business, government, others, journalists, are constantly reminded in the talking points Chinese officials that they meet, that these are signs of Australia's failure to respect China, respect the party state in the way that is expected. So in recent times, we failed one or two of these tests and deciding that the telecommunications company Huawei won't be playing a significant part in the creation of Australia's 5G network is another of those tests which is being applied not only to Australia but to other countries worldwide where 5G is being put together now. Mm. This view of friendship as a series of tests is quite an interesting one. Australia doesn't seem to have many tests it applies to the Chinese side but it does make the relationship difficult to manage. Australia has also, uh, maybe from China's view, had a, a lack of cooperation and engagement with the Belt and Road Initiative, except for our good state, Victoria. And is it getting to the point where we're perhaps perceived as being willfully uncooperative from the China view? I just want to know uh, if we're at maybe, would you call this a low point in the relationship uh, with China? We've been at low points before, and quite often... It's been mutual economic need which has brought that element of the relationship back into some kind of equilibrium. Belt and Road, as you say, is another of these tests. Will Australia sign the memorandum of understanding that quite a few other countries have signed joining this uh, rather nebulous concept of Belt and Road? Some people say doesn't matter. Mm. Just sign it. It's only an MOU. It's New just, Zealand yeah, has yeah. done. Mm. I think the Australian perspective has been we'd like to, if we're going to sign an MOU, we'd, we need to negotiate it. We need to work out what are the advantages, mutual advantages and so on. And we just don't want to sign up to someone else's 
global strategy as a sort of bit part player. Remains a bit unclear what role Australia will play. New Zealand signed up, but I think it's fair to say no New Zealand company has gained any advantage out of it that can be seen so far. It's very hard to know what projects are badged as Belt and Road Initiative, Mm. how they get badged, how the consortium is formed, how these are financed. I think that all of that is secondary to the fact that you've signed on board. Yeah, but those other questions remain just hanging. So with the Morrison government now established, what would you like to see as the step forward with China? How would you like to see China approached? At the very least, I'd say it'd be good for Scott Morrison to go there. Yes, I'd like to see Scott Morrison go on a visit to China. We have a comprehensive strategic dialogue which requires annual meetings between the premiers and they can be done in a desultory way on the sidelines, as people say, of uh, multilateral meetings like APEC Forum and so on. Mm -hmm. And that just ticks the box or it could be proper visits. And I think I'd like to see a proper visit. Uh, Scott Morrison has been to China before, by the way. I saw him in China a couple of years ago. He went as part of this dialogue program, the Treasurer's also have a meeting. I saw him there when he was the Australian Treasurer. I'd like to see the Foreign Minister make more visits. But we should persist in seeking to have a proper relationship with China, one of mutual respect. And uh, I think that besides visits, our government should be investing more in China knowledge in Australia, putting more money into understanding contemporary China in all respects, teaching of Chinese language, and it should be making money available, which actually it is through a new Australia-China Foundation to encourage people-to-people links. Engagement on that level, I think that's great. More friends between Australia and China. Thanks for your time today, Rowan. No worries, Matt. And you can read Rowan's contribution to the Latrobe Asia Brief on the Latrobe Asia website. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from Latrobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you may find your podcasts. You can follow Latrobe Asia on Twitter. We are at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.